Good morning, everyone. My name is Stephanie. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I see a number of new faces or people maybe visiting. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We know it takes a lot of courage to come into a new community, so thank you for joining us. We're really grateful to have you, and we'd love to get connected with you and connect you to the mission that we're on. Um, I love this question. I feel like this is one that could go into Second Sunday Lunch. We could have a great conversation, and then we could sit down and marvel at how differently we would answer the question, what do you like to do when you're on vacation? Because I feel like we'd answer that question really differently. All of us in this room, we might have different answers. And it would be fun at lunch, but when an interesting conversation then takes a turn to a different situation where the rubber meets the road, and I'm talking about when you try to take a vacation with other people. Okay, I knew this would be something we all share. Whether it's a trip, whether it's a staycation, you know, you're staying at home, whatever that is, we all have a different idea about what we like to do on vacation. And that can end up in some tension. Um, my husband and I, JD and I, uh, he's right here, we got married in our mid-30s. So we had a lot of opinions by the time we were in our mid-30s. And it turns out we have a very different idea of what vacation looks like. It's a very different opinion. Um, so maybe someone else is feeling that with their spouse, with their family, with their travel buddies. You have a different idea. Now, I think of a vacation, and this is a picture of what a good vacation looks like to me. Looking out over some water, relaxing, maybe like a hammock, a book that you love. And so what happened for us is I was in for a rude awakening on our honeymoon when I'm thinking we're going to relax by the ocean, and the next thing I know, we're ziplining through a forest. And I'm thinking maybe we could have like a relaxing time with a good book and all of a sudden we're making chocolate from actual plants. And then we're like snorkeling with stingrays and all of this. And all I need to say is that after I vacation with JD, I need a vacation from my vacation. <laughs> Please tell me I'm not the only one that has this experience. Has anybody else been there? Yes, thank you. This is, this is a funny story. But we have genuinely had to work out how to have fun together and also what it looks like for us to find rest when we have very different ideas of what rest looks like for each other. And I think this is really important because in a world where people barely take vacations, we do not have to, I do not have time to take a vacation for my vacation. Maybe that's true for you too. Not everyone even has a job where they get time off or paid time off, right? Some of you are well aware that for the work that you do, maybe caring for others, children or other loved ones, it certainly does not include paid vacations. And here's the other reality. In our world today, people who do get paid time off in America very rarely take all their paid time off. Isn't that fascinating? They say in studies that statistically people, over half of people who get PTO don't even use all of their vacation. Fascinating. So statistically, most people don't get paid time off, and the people who do don't take it. Interesting for us to pay attention to. So no, it's no wonder that six out of 10 working adults in America, six out of 10, report moderate levels of burnout. Can you believe that? 60% of people report burnout, not just kind of tired, burnout. Some studies are suggesting that exhaustion is worse now than it was in the center of the pandemic. And you can just do a quick search through various studies that are happening just now in 2023. And many experts agree that the state of exhaustion in our country is at an all-time high. And so that's why this conversation that we're starting today has what I would say are huge implications. 
for what it looks like for us to join in what God is doing in the world. Because we look around at our world today and we see that people are exhausted. And that's why we're calling this conversation Rest with God. It's kind of like an instruction, okay? Like rest with God. Given these stats that I just read, we can all agree that we live in a restless world, right? Yet we're created to rest. God commands us to rest, and Jesus shows us what rest looks like. This is what we're going to talk about for the next month. We were created to rest, God commands us to rest, and Jesus shows us what rest looks like. Without rest, we cannot live the full lives that God intends us to live. And I think we know that in our minds, but what if we focus on how we could live this out in our lives? And so here's what I want to talk about today. In a restless world, we are made to rest with God. In a restless world, we are made to rest with God. And I think there's a lot at stake for us if, if, and the people around us if we don't recognize that the restless world will try to rob us from the gift of resting with God. So in a restless world, we are made to rest with God. So whether you're a student or you have retired, someone who's mid-career or you're just starting out, whether you're somebody who is single or married or you're a parent or not, we are all invited to discover what rest and resting with God looks like for us in this specific season. And it'll be different for all of us. And so I think we're going to see as we get into this conversation today that this is a struggle for a lot of us, as we saw, but for us to recognize that there is a very specific reason why I think this is a struggle for most of us. And so we're going to start at the very beginning. This is a pause for the Sound of Music fans. If you have a Bible, we're going to be right in the beginning of Genesis 1. We're going to look at Genesis 1 through 3. Not going to read all three chapters. But I want us to point out what happens here at the beginning of the Bible. This is the first book. Genesis means the beginning, right? The first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And as we look here, we're going to see many of you have maybe read or you've heard of the, the creation story that's listed here in the beginning of Genesis. Um, some of you, maybe you would love a Bible quiz on what happened on day one, two, and three. We're not going to Bible quiz today. In fact, I want to invite you into something very specific. Think about the first people who were listening to this creation story. The Hebrew people were people who often had uh, oral tradition, so they were listening to stories that were memorized, and people would gather around, and someone would speak these words out, and eventually they were written down. So imagine you're the very first people listening to this description of how Yahweh God, the, the name for God in the Old Testament, created the world. And so as we go one by one through these different, uh, just the the main point of each of these creation narratives, try to think with me about the people who were imagining this for the first time, okay? So I'm just going to kind of go through, jumping through the, the days, okay? So on the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with its seed in according to their various kinds. God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. 
God said, let land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, remember, we're thinking about the first people to hear this description. Here is something important to note. As those people heard this description of how Yahweh God created the earth, they would be familiar with other versions of a creation story. They had heard other people and other religions and other understandings and worldviews how the world was created. There was actually a lot of what maybe you might call creation narratives swirling around in the ancient Near East. And the stories were all different from each other. And so here they're listening to a version saying, well, this is how God created the world, but they would have these ideas in their head. And the stories were all different, but the biblical narrative has a few distinctions that none of the other narratives and the myths and the stories held. Let me point out three of them. The first one is, in the story of Genesis, and here in the Bible, this, this description in the story, the only, it's the only creation narrative where it states clearly that everything that God created was good. Or in Hebrew, it's tov. I love that word, tov. Each day of creation, the story, God says it's good. And after creation, creating the humans, God says it's very good. Or in Hebrew, tov ma'od. Another distinction, so that's the first distinction, everything's good. The second distinction is how this, cre this creation story talks about men and women. In this creation story, it's the only one of all the stories back then that portrayed both women and men being made in the image of God, rather than only men, or that the humans had nothing to do with imaging God, the creator. Finally, and then this is the most critical for this conversation, the story of creation in the Bible is the only one where God creates humans to work hard and also to rest hard and rest well with God. In all the other creation myths, not only is rest not mentioned, but actually most of the time, humans were created for the purpose of being the little minions of the gods, to be worked to the bone, and to just crash into whatever their life might hold, and they hopefully could hold up because we don't want the gods to be angry. But here we have this story that is just so different than all the other stories they would have heard. And so we can imagine what they were thinking when they heard this. Uh, a book that I recommend is this book, Subversive Sabbath, Subversive Sabbath by A.J. Swoboda, a pastor. And here's a quote of something that he says in the book. In no other creation narrative do the gods provide this kind of rest to creation. No other god gave a break. No other god carries the well-being of creation as close to the heart as this one. We worship the god who invented the weekend. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Can you imagine... Just try to imagine being the first hearers of this creation narrative from this God. All those other myths would seem so different. They would have had the same realization, I think, as we have today, and that is this. In a restless world, we are made to rest with God. In a restless world, we're made to rest with God. Now, while our lives here in 2023 are very different than thousands of years ago, I do think that we can resonate being in a world that's just a, full of restless gods and idols. 
who inspire busyness over fullness, who inspire us to pursue achievement over wholeness, to be about doing all the time instead of being. And I think they were tempted to fall for these stories of these false gods, and so are we, if we're honest. In our world today, I think some people around us would be just as shocked to behold that the God of the universe is a God that invites humans to rest with God. And Jesus, God in the flesh, chooses to rest, and not only on his own by himself, but with other people. In community, Jesus chooses to rest. How countercultural to follow a God who makes it clear that we are invited to rest with God. So, I think it's easy for, for me at least to say, in our world, in all its exhaustion, we deeply need the rest that God offers. So here in Genesis 27, it would be mind-blowing, imagine, to hear these first listeners, they're listening to the story read, wouldn't it blow their minds, and let's let it blow our minds as well, Genesis 127 again. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you notice that the first thing we hear about these humans is their identity? Who God made them to be? Not what they do, but who God made them to be. But then we do see that God does take three verses to describe what humans are created to do. And if you look at that, it's to work with God. We're created to be God's co-workers. Work is created as a good thing. And that's important for us to remember. It's a wonderful invitation to work alongside God. And when you think about what the humans were invited to do, humans are to fill the earth, care for it, rule over animals, retrieve food from plants. I bet every single one of us could point to the work that we do back to this description, whether it's paid or unpaid work. Work is good. We love talking about this at Mill City. We continue to talk about it. Uh, we image God in the work that we do. Do you see how the work that we do bears the image of God? But here, what's happening here? In, this, in Genesis, God creates humans, God speaks their identity, and then talks about their purpose, and then God says, okay, quick, get to it. We got a long to-do list. Let's get going. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get moving. Wait, wait, wait. That's not what happens, right? Someone needs to put their, open up the Bible again. God speaks identity into the humans, describes their purpose, and before they get going to do anything, they rest. As we see in this, the, right as you turn the chapter into Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning here, what does it say? We'll put it on the screen. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Uh, the, thus, the heavens and the earth were created in their vast array. The seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The last thing that God does after creating the whole world is rest. But the first thing that the humans do is rest. Do you see the difference there? I'm hoping this is something that we can take with us through this whole conversation this month. Humans were created to work from our rest, not to rest from our work. All right, think about this for a minute with me. This is really critical. Humans were created to work from our rest, not to rest from our work. So uh, A.J. Swoboda said in the book, you know, God created the weekend. It's the end of the week for God, but rest is the beginning of the week for the humans. Do you see how distinct that is? Humans were created to work from our rest, not to rest from our work. 
This could seem like semantics maybe a little bit. You're like, well, come on, you're just flipping it around. No, think about it for a second. This, I remember 10 years ago, maybe a little over 10 years ago, thinking about this fundamentally shifted how I look at rest and Sabbath and other things like that in my life. Instead of crashing into my day off, my mentality is that this day off is critical for me to be able to work hard and to do what God made me to do, to thrive in the purpose that God gave me. Not only that, but whenever I find rest, whether it's in a week or throughout a day, I am able to join in what God is doing better. Why? Have you noticed how much harder it is to discern what God is doing when you're tired? It's so much harder. And then I've just noticed we can get into this mentality where we think we have to earn rest, right? Like if I work really hard for six and a half days, then I can take this day off, right? It's something that we have to do to, to, to earn it. But it's not true. It's a gift from God. Do you see how the humans in the story did not earn it yet? They had not done anything. They started with rest. And herein lies the tension. Because if we were to continue to chapter 3, what happens? The humans receive their identity from God. They're told what their purpose is. They rest with God. And then they have barely begun to live out that purpose, working alongside God, when their decisions result in brokenness entering the world. That brokenness knows no borders. It touches everything. And we see clearly in Genesis 3.17 that one of the things very clearly affected is that work is cursed. And it's going to be toil. And the relationships between men and women will struggle. And it's easy to see that resting with God is also affected by brokenness entering the world. Think about that. Why is this such a struggle for so many of us? Because when brokenness entered the world, resting with God was not untouched by the brokenness. And I think that's why so many of us wrestle so hard. Humans now have a barrier between us and God. And most of what fills that space between humans and God is shame. Most of the barrier is shame. And we know that Jesus came to, re to remove that shame, but it still creeps in, doesn't it? So much shame. I'm not the only one, I'm sure, that struggles with shame when it comes to rest and Sabbath and rhythms in my life. Can we just pause and think about how the enemy of God... <laughs> wants to convince us that we are not good enough to deserve rest? How the enemy wants us to think maybe we haven't worked hard enough to deserve a break? Or sometimes the enemy uses legalism. There's a right way to Sabbath, and if you miss that mark, it's not worth doing it at all. If you don't get that perfect 24 hours of rest, you are failing at resting with God. Do you hear that from the enemy sometimes? If your quiet time isn't as quiet as it should be, somebody's like, I have toddlers, there is no quiet time. Right? In that season of your life, maybe the prayer, the spiritual disciplines, you're not getting it done the right way. That's a reality for all of us is that there's these things that the enemy says to us that are not true about what it looks like to pursue rest with God. God understands that you have toddlers. God understands the nuances of all of our lives, yet still invites us to rest. So I don't know what lies the enemy tells you about what it means to rest with God, but I'm willing to suggest that the enemy is not silent on this topic in your life. I'm excited because next week, uh, pastor and theologian Joel Lawrence is going to be here, and he's going to help us dig into why God has in the law, in Exodus, uh, the, specifically one of the Ten Commandments, right, regarding keeping the Sabbath. So he's going to dig into that, but I want to say one thing about that today. God ends up having to make this law or this rule that humans have to rest, which presumes that God knows that the humans are going to break it, right? 
that we won't rest. <laughs> you don't have to, you know how those rules are, you're like, why does this rule exist? Because somebody wasn't doing what they're supposed to be doing and that's why we're not allowed to do this here and that, right? And so it might be tempting for us to think of the law of Sabbath or resting for a day as a law the way like the speed limit is a law, right? Like if you're speeding, then you might get pulled over and if you can't talk your way out of that one, you're gonna pay, right? And, and you can't go so fast, you're going to get pulled over. But in the book, uh, Swoboda points something out, and I loved this. He said it's less like the law of the speed limit and more like the law of gravity. God created gravity, he says. Gravity just is. Our belief or disbelief in it cannot invalidate it, change it, or make it disappear. Gravity always wins. The first humans started with rest. Like the law of gravity, it's needed. It's not optional, actually. Humans need rest. Animals need rest. The land needs rest. So if humans don't start to rest, what happens, just like the law of gravity, they tend to crash into rest because our bodies and our minds eventually force us to stop. And some of you are like, oh, yep, I know exactly what that's like. Like gravity, we're pulled down by the weight of life because we can't hold it all without a break. Some of us have been there, right? Crashing into the weekend, crashing into that next vacation. And when we crash into that, I think in an honest moment before God, if we could remove the shame, we can see that the God who created us and the God who loves us looks at that crash into rest and says, this is not good. Not tov, <laughs> you know? Lotov in Hebrew. This is lotov. God looks at the frantic restlessness that we live in and says, Lo tov, this is not good. Because God loves us. And in a restless world, we're made to rest with God. So I'm hoping that we can recognize that the brokenness in the world is what makes this so hard for us. Can we release the shame and say, it's because there's brokenness in the world that we struggle with this, and God knows that. And God is with us in pursuing rest in our lives. And can we also recognize that brokenness is not the end of the story? That's not the end of the story. And so we can live into the rest that God has for us, even if we can't do it perfectly. And somebody needs to put the perfection on the altar right now, because that might be the first thing that's causing you to struggle, is this perfectionism to be able to have this goal of resting perfectly. So my hope by the end of this, this conversation for the next few weeks is that everybody here would be able to answer the question, in this season of life, what does rest look like? In the season of life that you're in, what does rest look like? We're all in different seasons. We all have different circumstances. And we all are tempted to point to other people and say, well, if I had their circumstances, it would be easier, or theirs, or theirs. But that's not the point, right? In this season, we're invited to see how resting is, with God is something that we all need. And we can pursue how God can lead us through overcoming whatever barriers we have, because we all have them. What barriers do we have to be able to overcome it? We're also going to see throughout this conversation that resting with God is not always a solitary activity. It's often very communal. And we see that in this story in the Hebrew scriptures, that resting with God is something that people can do together. So I want to get practical for the last part of the message here. And I'm going to send out some resources. We've been curating resources for you to dig into this month as you think about this in your life. But today, uh, there's three steps that I see just kind of inspired by this creation narrative. Three ways that we can look at the rest of this month and just say, okay, how can I think about this differently? Okay, what's the invitation? Um, and they all start with an F. 
That's all I'm going to say about that. So the first one, find rest in the everyday spaces. Find rest in the everyday spaces. Um, maybe some of you have heard of this little book, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. This is a monk from the 17th century, and uh, he's become known for this little book. And he simply discusses how God can be found in every space that we find ourselves in. The presence of God can be found in every activity that we put our hands to or our minds to. And I, I just love thinking about this this way because while it's, I think, so good for us to block out times of rest, days of rest, hours of resting with God, and I want to encourage that, it's also important for us to strengthen our ability to find rest with God in the midst of our everyday lives. In the Ten Commandments, you know, we're going to dig into it next week, the Sabbath is called holy, and you heard that in Genesis. But the reality check is this. The other six days are holy too, right? <laughs> every day is holy because God is with us, and the kingdom is among us every day, everywhere. So like Brother Lawrence learned to enjoy God's presence in the midst of what he did day in and day out, we are invited to also find rest with God in the midst of the day's activities. So I've come to call these over the years Sabbath moments, okay? Finding a Sabbath moment. So what are those moments for you? Maybe it's choosing to have silence in the car on a commute, even if it's a short one. Maybe for you a Sabbath moment is getting together with that friend that's maybe it's a short time, but you know that that kind of connection with somebody who knows you is so life-giving for you. Maybe you just got to pick up the phone and make a phone call. I know we don't all do those anymore. Because you need to connect with someone and you know that that gives you a little Sabbath moment where you feel in, just full of life when you connect with that person who knows you. I've heard people talk about how a Sabbath moment is when they walk to the office printer and they find out there's three more jobs on the print before theirs. And you can pull out your phone or you could take five minutes, sit down, and practice the presence of God right there in the unexpected five minutes that you had. Maybe it's a quick walk around the block between Zoom meetings. And I know that this is maybe a real one for some people. It could be hiding from your kids in the bathroom for a little bit. They'll probably be fine. I'm not a parent. Somebody's like, you don't even know, Seth. But just like a quick moment, hiding in the, live, like in the bathroom, just real quick. Yeah, okay. Maybe for people who, I think about people who are in retirement and every day seems different and every week seems different. For some people, finding uh, whose, whose schedule is really different, finding a daily Sabbath moment is the most consistent thing in your whole life. And that might be so life-giving to you to have that rest in your everyday spaces in the season. So what does it look like to find rest in your everyday spaces in this season of your life? Practicing the presence of God in everything that we do and finding moments of resting with God within it all. So here's the second step I think we can take proactively. Fight for rest proactively, okay? This is going to be different for different people. What does proactive look like for you? But here's what is the reality we have to face. Because of the brokenness in this world, we probably just have to accept that rest is something that we have to fight for. And you, It doesn't seem like we should have to, but I think we do. I know for me, it sometimes looks like looking at my week and canceling some things before it even starts. Sometimes it means looking at my week and saying, I need to adjust my expectations on what's going to be achieved this week. We're going to talk about how, you know, part of, a big part of resting with God is reminding ourselves that we're not God. So maybe that achievement list looks a little bit more superhuman than human. I was joking about J.D. and I having different visions about what vacation looks like, and I don't want every... 
Fighting for rest does not look like fighting with your spouse. That's not what I'm encouraging. I'm not encouraging you to fight with your roommates or the people that you do life with. But what I am saying is that you have to fight for rest. So you might need to have an intentional, loving conversation about what rest looks like for you. People can't imagine that for you. We can't read each other's minds. It turns out what we find restful or life-giving is not the same as other people. And so I encourage you, make a list of what helps you feel rested. What is life-giving for you? And then share that list with the people closest to you in your life. So it's not a mystery anymore. Because if they know about that, then they can encourage you. They can know if you're choosing rest or not. And sometimes they can get out of your way and help you rest, right? That's what we can do for each other. Share your list with someone. Something that's true about me when I thought about my list of things that helped me feel rested. I love this quote. Rabbi Abraham Heschel says, If you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind. If you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. If you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind. If you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. And so for me, I find doing things with my hands so life-giving. And I have to give my permi myself permission to walk away from the thinking and the writing and the computer to do things with my hands. Doing crafts, puzzles, Legos, projects around my house. This is so life-giving to me. And I have learned also that I experience the joy of God when I'm out in nature. In all the seasons. Yes, even winter. And so I have to make a priority for me to be outside in all seasons. So what does fighting for rest proactively look like in this season for you? That's the question. Finally, third step today. Future plans start with rest. Okay, future plans start with rest. We're intentionally having this conversation in July. Some people's summer is a little bit different schedule than others, but some of you are like, same thing, all, all year, that's fine. But I'm also thinking not only is summer a time when people can sometimes rest a little bit more, but the reality is if you're going to have rest as a part of your rhythms, you probably have to plan ahead. So we're talking now about September and October and the plans that you have looking into the future. I already have rest planned in my calendar into the end of 2023 because I have found that that far ahead is the only way that it happens. And if we're going to work from our rest, then why wouldn't we plan the rest in first? If we're going to work from our rest, why wouldn't we plan the rest in first? So start with rest when you're making future plans. Again, working together with the people you do community and life with. So what if we were to pray about September and October by starting now? How might the, the, the future plans be uh, including rest, starting with rest? So I, I'm going to just, as I conclude here, I know this is a, something that can be overwhelming for some people. So I just want to take that pressure down. As we acknowledge, it's pretty countercultural, and that's okay. And we can often deal with shame. We've got to actively move the shame in our lives. But I do want to say I think there is a lot at stake. I really do. I think there's a lot at stake because it turns out it's not just about us. When it comes to resting with God, just like the law of gravity, it's a fact that we aren't living into the fullness of who God made us to be. And that's not neutral. And it doesn't just affect us, it affects the people around us. So I want to tell you a couple things. Some of you know I had a chance last summer to take a sabbatical. And uh, it was something that God put on my heart, not for any specific reason. I wasn't feeling burned out. I didn't have any sort of sense of feeling desperate about it. I just knew that it was critical for our church community to have a sabbatical culture for our leaders. And I knew I had to be the person to go first. And I'm well aware that many people are not offered a sabbatical in their vocation. 
but it's important to me that we at Mill City have this sabbatical culture amongst our staff so that we can have integrity with how we lead our church. There is so much damage done by unhealthy leaders in the church. We know that. So we cannot afford the unhealth that comes from burnout. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake for us not to rest. And I came back from sabbatical last summer and uh, entered into this season of discernment that some of you know about that our church went through. And it resulted in this beautiful adoption merger. And it is the biggest change and one of the most challenging things I've ever led a group of people through. And I have thought so many times how critical it was that I had extended time of rest with God last summer so that I would be able to work from my rest. I don't even know if I'd be standing right now <laughs> if I did not have a chance to work from the rest that God led me to before this. Ha it gave me the ability to love almost every minute of this intense year. I genuinely did. Yet I'm so grateful that things have slowed down as we're going back into the summer schedule. I'm really grateful for the renewed rhythms of rest. And I also want you to know something else. You should know that the leadership team of Mill City has supported me in inviting, nope, requiring all of our staff to take two Sundays off in a row this summer. All the staff, all the pastors, and the week in between is an extra time of paid time off because of this last year. So don't be alarmed if people are not there for two weeks, that they're okay probably, okay? And, and myself too. So I'm not requiring anything of anybody that I'm not also gonna do. So I'll take two weeks off in a row too. Because the bottom line is this, there is too much at stake when it comes to the harm that tired church leaders could cause for us not to fight for rest. There's too much at stake for all of us not to fight for rest. To fight for resting with God. And so I just want to be very clear. I know that an extra week off is not something that everyone can afford. I know that sabbatical is not something that's happening in many spaces. However, it is increasingly in more places that aren't even faith-based. So just double check that that might be something that's coming for you. But I do think we have to recognize that if we take these three steps finding rest in our everyday spaces, fighting for rest proactively, and making sure our future plans start with rest. Even though there's constraints that we don't have control over, there are ways in which God will invite us into stepping into that rest that will make a huge difference in our lives. You never know the amazing things God might have for you on the other side of rest. You never know the things God might need to lead you through that are trials that are gonna come, but God will lead you through them on the other side of rest. After brokenness entered God's creation, rest has become a battle, hasn't it? But Jesus has already claimed victory. He took that brokenness, he took it to the cross, and he's given us the opportunity to have a restored relationship with God that doesn't need to include shame. And we can work with God and we can rest with God. And someday Jesus will make all things new and we will have perfect rest and work with God forever. But until then, we can start today to fight for rest in the middle of this broken world. And if we ask God to show us, God, show me how to rest, then I believe the Spirit will show us. So as the worship team comes up, I just want to pray that over us uh, today, but as we go into this month, into this conversation, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to show us the rest that God has for us in each of our lives that are very different. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for every life here, every family, every group of, of roommates and friends and community. God, you see them. You know them. You know what is on the calendar. You know what is weighing down their life that is not on the calendar. And you invite them into rest. You made us for rest. And so God, I pray that you would give us an openness 
in the midst of all the things pulling at us culturally, in our lives personally, in our minds, and our hearts, would you give us an openness to how you can show us rest? Holy Spirit, how you can lead us into your rest in the midst of this broken world as we look forward to perfect work and rest with you forever. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.